The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Have you ever received a less than exciting Christmas gift? Uh, during our very first year of marriage, uh, Marcia and I were with my in-laws for Christmas. And, and just by the way, as many of you know, my in-laws are wonderful people, right? Incredibly generous. They're the best in-laws you could have. But that Christmas, we were just getting to know each other. And uh, I, as I opened this particular gift from them, I found contact solution. What's funny is that evidently, I was the only one in the family who does not wear contacts. <laughs> in fact, after 22 years, I still don't wear contacts. And so it was, oh, thanks for the contact solution. Um, we all had a laugh. But in our text this morning, after much difficulty, a paralytic finally finds his way to Jesus. You tell me what he wants for Christmas. What's he want? He's heard Jesus can heal. He knows of people Jesus has healed. He wants to be healed. And what does Jesus say to him? Your sins are forgiven. I wonder what he thought at that moment. Do you think he thought, well, well that's nice. It's not exactly what I was looking for. I wonder if it's like that for you. What gift from God might you appreciate the most right now? What would you want to receive from him? And there's something in your circumstances. Could be your health. Could be your finances. Could be relationships, right? Maybe when you hear forgiveness, you think, yeah, thanks, but I was really looking for... We're studying through the Gospel of Mark. Mark's a close, a close associate of the Apostle Peter. Peter was a firsthand eyewitness of Jesus' life. So Mark writes this Gospel from Peter's account, and it's just 30 years after the life of Jesus. So write this down. This cannot be myth. It cannot be legend. Three questions at the heart of this document. Who is Jesus? What has he come to do? How should we respond? I just want to encourage each one. You've got to take those questions seriously. Who is he? What did he come to do? How should I respond? Mark told us from the very beginning who Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ. That's a title. God's promised king. Moreover, Mark says, he's the eternal son of God who's taken on flesh. If that's true, you've got to listen to everything he said. He's Lord. He's king. Well, after, telling, after Mark tells you who Jesus is, then he just shows you over and over again. He shows you. He displays Jesus to you. So the last few weeks, we've seen some of the amazing ways Jesus has unparalleled authority as God's king. And today we see his excellent, this excellent gift of Jesus' authority to forgive. So three points for us this morning. Number one, the underrated gift. Number two, the only one who can give it. Number three, a little bit about what to do with it. So first, the underrated gift. You see in verse 1, hopefully, if you follow along in your Bibles, Jesus has returned to Capernaum after some days. That's where Jesus basically lived during this time in his ministry. 
as we've seen the last few weeks, he had healed everyone in that town. And by the way, just 30 years after Jesus lives, you can't write that unless it's true, right? You cannot write that unless it's true. Jesus healed everyone in that town. But as we saw, Jesus said he doesn't want to be known as mainly a healer. He wants to preach. And so sometimes when he does these incredible miracles, the crowds just overwhelm him. And he doesn't have the ability to preach and teach like he wants to do. It just reminds you, the thing you need the most is Jesus' truth. You need truth about God and who he is, what he wants, who you are. So Jesus left Capernaum for a while, but now he's come back. Word got out that he's here, and the place is overflowing. It's packed. So if you just kind of got in your mind, this room just packed, standing room only, the foyer packed, the parking lot packed full of people. You can't even physically get in to see Jesus. Now the story introduces us in verse 3 to a paralytic and some friends. And I can only imagine how difficult it would be to be a paralytic. That's a nightmare for most of us. Some of us know what that's like in the real world, but it'd be especially terrible to be a paralytic in the ancient world. We don't have a lot of the helps or the blessings of today. It would be awful to be a paralytic in the ancient world. He'd be hopeless. He'd be helpless. Uh, There'd be a stigma to it. He'd have to beg. But this paralytic does have something going for him. Did you notice? He has friends. He has devoted friends. And so I imagine their mindset like this. They've heard of Jesus healing people, right? They know people Jesus has healed, but somehow they missed it. They didn't get in on that. Then Jesus left for a little bit. He comes back. And we can understand what's on their minds. What's on their minds? We're not missing it this time. We are not missing it this time. So they come with their buddy, right? They're carrying their buddy, to this place, and they just run into, what do they run into? Crowds. They run into crowds. They can't get in. And now, first thing that comes to my mind is, this is not a very impressive crowd. (laughs) Can you imagine a crowd that won't let a paralytic in to see Jesus? I mean, really? Like, it's so packed in, the paralytic comes, you're like, no. No. But that's what they're doing they can't get in. It just reminds you, this is, this is a kind of a subtle theme throughout Mark. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, crowds don't have a great reputation. They might be curious about Jesus, but they're not committed. Often they're an obstacle to people getting to Jesus. If you do get to Jesus, sometimes it's despite the crowd. You can't let the crowd define you or stopping, stop you from seeking Jesus. I don't know. I think there's a lesson here. The crowd, public opinion, the masses, what's popular, what's normal, what's expected. That's not your friend in getting you to Jesus. Anyway, they can't get into Jesus. So can you imagine them if you envision this story? They're on the outskirts of this crowd. They, they brought their paralytic friend on a, on a mat somehow. And they're, you know, at first they're, they're, they're probably stymied. Like, what do we do? And maybe the, maybe the paralytic's like, all right, guys, thanks. You, you know, you tried. I appreciate it. Or maybe we'll just wait. We could catch him afterwards. But s- somebody in that group of friends is like, no. What if, 
right? What if we went on the roof? And what if we dug through the roof and just dropped you like right down in front of Jesus? And I, I don't know, I guess one of the friends would be like, really? Um, ancient world, the houses, um, the staircase to the roof. I mean, it's normal for people to have a roof. Don't think it's some grand thing. Just think of a, a very simple one-story structure. On the roof, you would go out and, and hang out on your roof. You would have some beams, some thatch. Um, there would be a staircase on the outside of your house. You'd escape kind of the stuffiness of, the, of your house, and you go hang out on the roof. It's, it's normal for ancient times. So they think, well, the stair- let's just go through the roof. We, we can get through that stuff. And so, all right, we're in. And I don't know, the paralytic's like, what do I have to lose? Let's go. So they get on the roof, and it's such a, it's such a fun story to imagine. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's one thing all preachers have in common. We don't particularly enjoy distractions. <laughs> okay, so after preaching 18 years, you know, I've I've seen some things, right? Sometimes the cell phones just go on and on, and people can't figure out whose phone it is or where the volume dial is. It's all right. I still love you. Um, car alarms, right? Some of us know about car alarms, and they just protesters every blue moon. Once things catching on fire. Were, were any of you here when we had poinsettias over here, and we had a candle, and the plant caught on fire? It did. It happened. It was a long time ago. I was the first person to see it. I have to run off stage, blow that mess out. And you come up here again, and you're like, are you guys ready to focus again? Distractions. But after everything I've experienced, I have never had a paralyzed man descending through the roof. It would be, I mean, what a everybody, no wonder everybody came to see Jesus, because it was always interesting. It's always interesting. You never know what you're going to get. But Jesus is not flustered at all. He sees them. Because a lot of times, if you've ever done public speaking or something, there's a distraction. You start thinking about yourself a little bit. It feels awkward. Jesus sees them. I, I love that about him. He sees them. And he sees their faith. They are ready to trust in him. They have a high view of him. And they have done everything to get to him. And by the way, this is the kind of friends you want. Where do these friends make darn well sure this guy made it to? He made it to Jesus. That's the kind of friends we need to be to each other. We're going to take each other to Jesus. So this guy, here he is. Jesus sees their faith. Now, we all know what they want to hear. What do they want to hear? Be healed. What do they hear? Your sins are forgiven. Why does Jesus say this right here? Is Jesus being cruel? He knows this guy wants to be healed. Can Jesus heal this guy? Yeah. Is Jesus being mean? Just going to toy with him a little bit? That is not what Jesus is like. We saw it last week. Jesus is full of compassion. There's, there's no one more compassionate than Jesus. You're hurting, he sees. He cares, he's compassionate. Uh, if Jesus isn't cruel, is he clueless? Oh, you wanted to be healed. Oh, my bad. Is that, is that what this is? I think this is what's going on. Jesus knows what this man needs the most. That's the question, isn't, isn't it? 
Ask yourself this question. Do you really know what you really need? You live like you do. Do you really know what you really need? And one challenge, right? It's always confronting us. What we think we need and what God knows we need, they're not always the same things. Who's smarter? Who's more wise and more loving? Who knows what you need? Doesn't love include giving people what they need, not just what they want? Uh, Tim Keller wrote a book on the Gospel of Mark, and in that book, he references a writer named Cynthia Heimel. And due to Heimel's career, she had a lot of friendships with struggling actors and actresses. And she talked about those friends. She said, they thought, if only I could make it in the business, if only I had this or that, I'd be happy, right? If only I could make it, I'd be happy. Do you ever have that feeling? What's make it for you, that thing? If you had that, you finally, you finally be there. You finally arrive. Make it. If I, if I only had, fill in the blank. Well, uh, Cynthia Heimel says that for many of her friends, once they actually got the fame they were longing for, she says they became miserable. Miserable. I'm going to read to you a quote. She said, I pity celebrities. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked, they push. And the morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing that they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable. It was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness. That thing had happened, and nothing changed. They were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. And then that book includes this fascinating statement. This is what the author said. She said, I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish. Hear that? You don't always know what's best for you. True or false, there's people with fame and money who are miserable. True or false, those pe- there's people with that thing where you think, if I just got this, there are people who have that, that are miserable. And there's something you need even more deeply than that thing. And Jesus loves this man enough to show him, and all of us, by the way, through the story, what he truly needs. And you know, you, you know what you need before you need anything else? You know what you need? You need to be forgiven. That's what you need. You need to be forgiven. How wonderful is God's forgiveness? Let's open that package a little bit together. How, how good of a gift is it? Ponder just for a moment. Well, The big idea here is that forgiveness, first, it removes the debt of your sin. And now here's where some of us want to have a conversation. The Bible's going to tell you something about yourself. You have lived without reference to God. You've ignored the God who's been speaking to you. 
As he gives you life and breath, you use the gift of the life he's given you to rebel against him. That's what the Bible says about us. And I think if we're, I think if we're honest with our own consciences, that's what we've done. Have you loved the living God who made you with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? Have you even given two cents to God's standard in the scriptures while not even keeping your own standard yourself? Are you brave enough? Are you honest enough to admit it, right? Have you ever been angry with someone for how they treated you, knowing full well you have done the exact same thing at some point in your life? Is there such a thing as justice? Is there such a thing as goodness, as truth? The Bible calls this rebellion sin. And it, first of all, it's an inclination. We're drawn towards it. We love it. We have a rebellious heart towards God. And then there's also deeds. And with each aspect of that, it raises a debt, a debt you owe, a debt you owe, you owe. So what do we deserve due to our sin? What would justice call for due to the way your attitude has been towards the living God? I deserve, rightly, eternal wrath. It's true. I deserve it. That, that's justice. That fits what I've done, right? In true justice, the penalty always fits the crime, right? You, you, you steal a candy bar from the store, the punishment should be different than if you murder someone, right? Because of the value of what's been sinned against. But what if you've continually sinned against a God who's eternally valuable and you've done that nearly countless times? How great is the debt? You see, we assume that God's job is forgiveness, don't you? He's kind of like the non-judgmental grandpa in the sky. It's okay. There's no justice in the world if God's like that. That won't help you. And that is not what God is like. He's a judge first. That's how this relationship starts. And if you want fairness, you want justice, well, you don't actually. There's this debt. And you can never pay it. You can never fix it. You can't be like, well, let me fix myself, and I'll try to get to like 51% good and 49% bad. No. So this horrible debt of the eternal God owing me justice, when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes because God loves you to see that, at first it's overwhelming. But then can't you imagine? What if you heard the voice say, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Have you ever had this happen in a relationship? You hurt somebody you loved. You, you flaked hardcore. You betrayed. A lot of times in human relationships, we get revenge on each other over and over and over again, right? Some of us have relationships that are gone and dead and over because there's no forgiveness. But maybe you've tasted the sweetness, and it really, there's nothing like it. 
where you sinned against somebody and you, you were you kind of sheepishly honest about it and that person forgave you. Oh, my word. And now there can be closeness again. In Jesus, God forgives. God forgives. It removes the debt. It's like there's this infinite debt. I couldn't pay it, and now it's gone. That's why Christians a lot sing about being set free. I've been set free. My whole debt is paid. It's over. I'm forgiven. But that's just a removal of the negative in forgiveness. There's also a doorway into the positive through forgiveness. Not only does forgiveness remove the debt of your sin, it removes the distance of relationship. It removes the distance. So if you could be forgiven by God, not only is the penalty taken away, but the door is open to reconciliation with God and closeness with him. You can know him as your father who loves you, who's adopted you. This is what you made for. This is what you most truly need, fellowship with the God who made you. You can have peace with him. All his promise is yours, his sovereign hand on your life for good. You're forgiven. You're going to heaven, made right with God. So isn't it true? God's forgiveness is like the ultimate fork in the road of your life. If you go down the path of not forgiven by God, you are in trouble. And if you go down the path of totally forgiven by God, you're going to be okay. This is the fork in the road. Are you forgiven? Do not assume that you are. This is what Jesus is promising this man. It's better than walking. It's better than fame. It's better than money. It's better than, it's the best. You're forgiven. Jesus is promising this man forgiveness, and he's the only one with authority to give it. Verse 6, the text tells us, some of the scribes are sitting there questioning their hearts. Why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. And then they ask a good question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? I think to them, that's a rhetorical question. What's the answer to that question? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Imagine you go to someone for marriage counseling, all right? Imagine. And uh, you and your spouse, you're, you're pretty mad at each other, right? You go in there and you each air some grievances. Uh, my husband's like this. My wife's like this. And there it is. It's all on the table. And imagine that counselor says to you, I forgive you of all of your sins. You know, all of a sudden you're both mad at him, right? <laughs> Who, who the heck are you? You're, you're overestimating your place in our lives, right? That's what you think. It, these sins weren't against you. You have no authority to forgive us of our sins. I'm about to hit you in the mouth, and then you can forgive me for that, right? <laughs> That's the kind of thing Jesus just said here. It's, it's not like... Jesus and the paralytic grew up together, and the paralytic once was mean to Jesus. And was like, remember back in 84 when we were in middle school? I forgive you for that. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. The, the religious leaders, they're here to police Jesus. They don't like Jesus. This is where the conflict starts in the Gospel of Mark between Jesus and the religious leaders. But they have a point here. For, for someone to say universally, comprehensively for your life, 
I forgive you. You have, to be, you have to be God to be able to say that, right? Only the person sinned against can honestly do the forgiving, right? Only the person sinned against can always do the forgiving. Well, guess what? Every time you sinned, you sinned against God. David says this, right, when he's guilty of adultery and murder. He says in that psalm he wrote, against you and you only, really what that means is you fundamentally, I've sinned against you. So when you're a jerk to that person over there, ultimately you sinned against God. Well, how can that be? Well, God, the one who made you and gave you life, has given you a law to love your neighbor as yourself. So yeah, you sinned against that person. That's real, and God's not happy with that. But the reason you sinned against that person is why? Because fundamentally, you already sinned against God. You said, God, you're not listening to. You're not worth listening to. I don't want to live in reference to you. I'm going to do what I want to do. So every sin you're sinning against God, it's a Incredible statement then, because what is Jesus claiming about himself right here? The religious leaders get it. They said he's blaspheming, because when Jesus says, I have the authority to forgive all of your sins in this room, when Jesus says, if I don't forgive you, you're not forgiven. If I do forgive you, you are forgiven. When Jesus says that, he is claiming to be God. That's what he's claiming. So again, we're, we're taking it back here. You have to take this seriously, right? Here's one option you, you cannot say about Jesus. You cannot say he's just a good teacher. If he's just a good teacher and then drops a statement like this, he's like that marriage counselor who says, oh, your sins are forgiven, who has no right to actually forgive you. He's off his rocker. He's evil or he's crazy. He's not a good teacher. You have two options. Basically, reject him as crazy or evil. Myth is not an option. Or bow to your knee to him as the only one who can forgive you. He just put us in a headlock, right? We can't get out. You need Jesus. So they're saying, well, you, you can't say this. That's blasphemy. And so Jesus says, well, I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you that I have authority to forgive sins. And he drops this question, so interesting. Which is easier to say, he says it in verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Now, what do you guys think? Which one's easier? In a way, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, because no one can, it's not like lights go off in the heavens, right? Or he, he changes colors. Yeah, you can't see if, that, if anything happened or not. You can say, talk is cheap, right? Your sins are forgiven. We can't tell if anything happened. But if he actually says in that moment to the paralytic, get up and walk, well, we can all watch that, right? We can all see if this is working. So Jesus says, all right, look, I've made my claim. I'm the only one who can forgive. And we're like, prove it. It's like, fine, I will. I'm about to say to this paralytic, rise and walk. And if he does, that means I'm the only one that can, can forgive your sins. And then according to Mark, I mean, can you imagine being there? This would be fun to be there if you got the seat in that house. You're like, right? You watch the paralytic come down. And you're watching this little debate with these religious leaders. You're kind of intimidated about them. You don't know what's up with Jesus. And then he said, all right, you want to prove it? And we're like, ooh, what's he going to do? And he says, looks at the paralytic and he says, rise, take your bed and walk. And then it would just be like slow motion because this guy who hasn't been able to walk for God knows how long, all of a sudden he gets up and walks. What would it be like in that house? 
mean, you've been to sports games when there's a comeback at the end and everybody's going nuts. This blows that away. I mean, you'd, you'd be out of your mind. It'd be crazy. It'd be overwhelming. Jesus healed that guy. The paralytic got up and walked. That shows his authority over creation and it proves, is that good enough for you? It proves that he's the only one who can forgive sins. You need his forgiveness. Wow. Verse 12, the paralytic rises, immediately picks up his bed, went out before them. So they were all amazed, glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I guess not. Yeah, right. Never saw anything like this. Did did you see that little phrase Jesus snuck in here? He said, so that you will know I'm the son of man. Did anybody notice that? What is that about? You kind of have to know your Bibles. I'm going to read you text from the prophet Daniel, Daniel 7, 13. This is what Jesus is saying about himself. That's why you need to see it. This is who he thinks he is. The prophet writes, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given what? Dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom one is one that will not be destroyed. Jesus is God's king. Every knee will bow. That's who Jesus is saying he is. And he says, I proved it to you by healing this man. Jesus is God's king. He has the authority to proclaim forgiveness. Well, we should have another question here. It's a question most modern people don't ask, but I think it'll make sense. How can Jesus just forgive you when you deserve his justice? You thought of that? Modern world doesn't ask this question. We just assume it's God's job to forgive. But imagine you're in a courtroom setting, all right? There's a judge, and you're the victim in this case, and there's some nasty criminal over here. The evidence is right there. He's, he's wretched. He's wicked. He deserves, let's just say, he deserves life in prison for what he did. And you're ready for justice to fall, right? And we need that for a healthy society, right? You're ready for justice to fall. And then the judge says, you know, I've seen all the evidence, and he looks at that criminal, he says, you're forgiven. How would you feel? Outrage. That's criminal. That's wrong. That, that's wreckage. That's corrupt. No, you cannot do this. Isn't this what God is doing with you? Aren't you hoping this is what God is doing with you? It will look at the justice of your life and here's what you deserve, and you're hoping he's just going to go, I forgive you. How can he do that and still be just? The modern world, we ask questions like this. How can God let bad things happen to good people? More clear thinking, you realize that's not the right question. I still want to know who all these good people are, right? (laughs) The real question is, how can God be so gracious to evil people? That's the question. This doesn't make sense. How can God be gracious to evil people? How can you do this and still be just? It goes back to Jesus' question. It's a loaded question. Which is easier, 
to say to the paralytic, get up and walk, or your sins are forgiven. In a way, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. We can't really tell. And raising a paralytic, that's difficult. But it's, it's totally different for Jesus. Is it really that hard for him to raise a paralytic? He's the eternal son of God. Through him, everything was made. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit. He's healing people all the time. It's not that hard, evidently. You know what it took to get that paralytic sin forgiven? You know what it took? That was hard. He withstood every temptation and lived a perfect life with no sin so that paralytic could be forgiven. And he hung on a Roman cross and took upon himself the wrath, the just wrath, for every single sin that paralytic ever committed. That's what it took to get that paralytic forgiven, which is easier. It was hard to get that guy's sins forgiven. It was hard for Jesus to get your sins forgiven. Do you know that's what he was doing if you belong to him? He didn't die for sins just in general or vaguely. He took every drop of justice from a holy God on himself for every single one of every one of his people's sins. If you just ponder that, you might start crying. What would the cross be like just for this room today? What about that deepest and darkest in you you don't want anybody to know about? It's there, right? It echoes sometimes early in the morning, late at night. You feel guilt. You feel shame. Did Jesus die for that? And what about mine? I mean, if we just took two of us and we had a heart-to-heart, this is what Jesus is dying for for me, it would, it would be a long conversation. And then we just, we'll add you too, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and all of God's people for all time. And that's what Jesus was accomplishing on the cross. Is this the greatest gift you have ever seen? That we could be forgiven? Forgiven! Looked at as if we had never done any of those sins. That we were righteous with the righteousness of Christ. That God would look at us and say, innocent. Forgiven! Like the psalm says, our sins taken as far as the east is from the west are buried in the bottom of the ocean. They're gone. You're forgiven. You've never seen a gift like that. You never will. It's the greatest gift there could be. Oh, church, don't yawn at your forgiveness. Merry Christmas. You're forgiven. That's what Jesus did for us. Look at Colossians 2.13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Look at this next phrase. Will you read it with me? Some of you don't believe me. I want you to apply this to that thing that makes you most guilty. If you have put your faith in Christ, let's read this last phrase. You see it? Having, here we go. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. And uh, you know what that Greek word all means? That's right. It means all. (laughs) All our trespasses by canceling the record of debt. Do you see it? that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside. All that debt you owe, he set aside because he nailed it to the cross. 
earned your forgiveness. Wow. Unparalleled gift of forgiveness. And Jesus is the only one with the authority to give it. Number one, who he is as God's king. And number two, who he is as your substitute. That's how God is just and you are forgiven. He poured out every punishment you deserve on the one who took your place. That's the gift. The only way you can give it is Jesus. How to respond. How do you respond to this message? For some of you, you need to become a Christian. You need to give up on the narrative of I'm generally a nice person. And I'm kind of living for here, there, and everywhere. And you realize there's a God who made you and a God who has spoken and before whom you know it in your conscience, you're guilty and you need his forgiveness. And in the love of God, he sent Jesus to you, for you. And Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, right now says to you, repent and believe and I will forgive you today. Repent and believe, that's two sides of the coin of faith, right? What did Jesus see when he saw the friends and the paralytic? What did he see about them? Their faith. Faith is, is trust, right? It's a personal trust. You're putting your faith in a chair right now. You're sitting on it. You believed it would hold you up. We want to put our faith in Christ. That means repent, so that's turned from, because right now you're living for all sorts of other things. Jesus is not your king. Turn from that. Turn to Jesus. Turn from, turn to. Put your faith in Jesus. You trust yourself to him. He'll forgive you. He came to save sinners. He came to forgive. He loves to do it. He loves to do it. He's compassionate and kind. He'll forgive you. If you're a Christian, you know that. You celebrate that. I guess that's the second thing. Rejoice in the greatest present you got. There's a lot of things to bum us out this Christmas, right? A lot of things for every one of us. Sometimes Christmas can just feel dark. Hey, here's something nobody can take away if you belong to Christ. Guess what? You're forgiven. You're forgiven. I'll be all right. I'm forgiven. Merry Christmas. Praise him. But let's do, let's do two others real quick. And this will preach, because at Christmas, we hang around with family and friends. I know, I'm, I'm sure 99% of your relationships with others are just clean and easy all the time. <laughs> but I've heard, I've heard, for some people, there can be difficulty. There can be drama. Look at Colossians 3. Look at this, church. If you belong to Jesus, here's your mission today, this week. Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, what are we going to do? Forgiving each other. And now, you know, the next phrase, hold on. Forgive them when they're really sorry and ask for it nicely. Forgive them when they quit giving excuses. Forgive them when they finally change and don't do anything wrong anymore. It's not what the text says. Forgive each other. How? As the Lord has forgiven you. What kind of forgiveness do you need from God? Forgive it all. The stuff I don't remember, the stuff I'm not sorry enough for, forgive it all. 
If you don't forgive it all, I'm in trouble. How are we supposed to forgive others? Forgive it all. Forgiveness does not mean you never confront other people. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean there are no boundaries in case of abuse. That is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not waiting for someone to be truly enough to finally deserve it in your eyes. That is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is being willing to pay the debt yourself and whatever was broken in that relationship because Jesus paid your debt and you have what you need in him. So forgiveness does mean something like, let it go. You don't need them to pay the price anymore for what they did. You don't need them to pay anymore for what they did. You're going to let it go. And now you can actually desire good for that person and even be open to reconciliation with that person because you've let it go. How many of us live in anger and irritation because we won't forgive? Are you carrying a grudge around with you? You say their name and your face goes, mm-hmm. Right? This is not to deny that other people haven't done evil. I'm not denying that. It doesn't deny that they're guilty. We're not denying that. We know everybody's guilty. But was that the deciding factor in your forgiveness? Or was God gracious to you because of Jesus? We should be like that forgiving where we're no longer meditating on their evil, we're no longer remembering it or talking about it. Is this a game for some of us, a fun game to play? Let me tell you how bad someone else is. Let me, let me tell you what they did. That is not forgiveness. It's not forgiveness. If you are a Christian and you delight in God forgiving you, guess what you will work to do? You will forgive. You will, and it glorifies God and what he's done for us. So put your faith in Jesus, be forgiven, celebrate your forgiveness, forgive others. Last one, just real quick. Look at Luke 24, 46. This is what Jesus said after his resurrection. He said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, 47, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. If this is true, that everybody stands in need of God's forgiveness through Christ, what's about the nicest gift you can give to anyone? You can tell them about how they can be forgiven. Sometimes there's resistance. People don't want to believe that they need to be forgiven. That's okay. Share the news. Share the news that Jesus offers forgiveness. So friends, let's rejoice that we've been forgiven. Let's forgive others. Let's share the news. These are great gifts. Because we're forgiven, it's always a Merry Christmas. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for this incredible message of forgiveness. I pray that everybody in this room would be drawn up in their faith in you and rejoice that they are forgiven through your life, your death, and your resurrection on their behalf. And I pray that as we look to you and what you've done for us, we would be drawn to forgive others 
not excusing sin, not enabling abuse, nothing like that, but a heart that doesn't want revenge, a heart that's willing to let it go, reconcile, not because anybody deserves it, but because you deserve it, what you've done for us. Thank you, God, for forgiving us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.